Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm talking with Dr. Susie Weiss about her new book, Design for Belonging, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. And you might be thinking, what does belonging or even design have to do with productivity? And I will tell you, it has a lot to do with it because one of the biggest things that can derail your productivity Think about this. Think back to high school or junior high or even elementary school at those times when you didn't feel like you belonged and how that was a distraction from getting your work done. So it's very obvious when you feel like you belong. It's almost a necessity. In fact, I think that she says that in this conversation, that it's a necessity in order to be able to really produce and rise to the occasion and do your best work. And that's what we talk about in this conversation, applying then design principles and designing spaces and approaches and relationships, in fact, to be belonging and not othering. So I think you're really going to like this conversation, especially if you're somebody who's felt like they haven't belonged, or maybe you haven't questioned that that much, but you've experienced it. Trust me, this is that conversation that's going to bring a greater awareness to this topic for you. So enjoy this conversation with Susie Wise. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Susie Wise. Susie, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled because I have this kind of small bundle of books now coming to me through D-School. Yours is one of them. Ashish Goyle is one of them. And I think there's another one coming. So I don't know what order these are releasing in, if you've heard some of these, but for the sake of the audience, what is D-School? Let's start there. Sure. The D-School is an interdisciplinary institute at Stanford University. We are there to help use design methods to build the creative confidence of students and faculty at Stanford. We build experiential learning opportunities 
that are grounded in the power of design so that everybody can build their creative muscles and solve problems and find opportunities in the world. That is a great synopsis right there. And what I love is 99% Invisible is one of my favorite podcasts. It's all about design and finding that and discovering that, right? In the world as you come across it. And so over time, that has kind of built that up. And I love that there's this application of design approach and thinking being applied to not just things you would think of as, quote, designed when it's architecture or usability, different things like that. But this is applying things across all of life. And the topic today, obviously, is your book, Design for Belonging. And by the way, the subtitle, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. Belonging. When people hear that, I don't know that they think productivity. Why does belonging matter when it comes to productivity? It's actually critical. Belonging is one of the things that helps you show up and be your whole self. It means that you're able to make your best contribution when you feel that you belong. It's not about fitting in. It's about being you and sharing who you are. So I think that connection to productivity is really profound. In fact, that what we're actually looking for when we think about productivity holistically is getting the members of our team, ourselves, our groups to show up and do their best, be their best. And that comes from getting to show up and be your whole self, not being afraid that some part of your identity is not going to be accepted. That helps you to actually lean in and be you. And I want to take that up as a definition of productivity. In fact, leaning in and being you. Nice. Yeah. Not just bringing, but being your true authentic self and not just you accepting that, but others in your work area accepting that as well. In other words, reducing friction that could be there because of not doing that. Absolutely. And when you design for belonging, it means you're creating cues in the environment that help people know that they are psychologically safe and they can show up as themselves. I sometimes share a quote. It's included in the book from John Powell at Berkeley. He says, belonging is more than just being seen. Belonging entails having a meaningful voice and the opportunity to participate in the design of social and cultural structures. That might be another interesting angle on what is productivity. It's showing up and really participating in creating the environment that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. I think that jives with me because I know that for myself, as well as probably many listeners, there is a bit of a productivity hangup when it comes to psychological and emotional things, when it comes to thoughts and feelings and being unsure of different, you know, I don't know where I stand. I don't know how others feel about me. I don't know how I think or feel about me. And by creating, or let's rather say, designing a space where you do belong, or the signs are there, that even if you don't feel like as you're entering into it, you are trusted yet, the environment is set up to allow you to easily enter into trust because it's being extended to you. You got it. You got it. And one of the things that I do in the book is talk about 
ways that we can see belonging in real time and real space. And I call out some moments of belonging. So some that you were talking about there, the invitation and the entering, these are important moments that set the stage to let you know that you can belong and be productive. Other moments to pay attention to are things like participating, another version of productivity, right? Are you able to participate? Are you able to contribute? Are you able to get into flow? That's what I call out as one of the moments of belonging that we're looking for. Because if we're noticing a flow state among a team or among individuals within the organization, that's probably a good sign for the productivity side of the equation. It also is probably a sign that belonging is really present, that those can go hand in hand in really interesting ways. Another piece that I raise as a moment of belonging that I think is interesting to think about is dissent. And that's the idea of raising critical feedback and saying, wait a minute, this isn't working. And we might think of that as like, oh, is that a breakdown moment that hinders productivity? But I would like to argue that it's actually a necessary part of any functioning organization or team that you have to have a way that you take up and deal with what isn't working. That's both a real sign that you've gotten to a place of a lot of belonging But I'm imagining and think that there's probably a lot of evidence for the fact that that means that a team is starting to be able to work. And if you really know and design for what do you do to give feedback, you might imagine that you have a role or a ritual. And so then it just becomes a part of your work culture to seek feedback and understand what's not working for folks. That might really smooth the wheels of how you're working together. Mm, Yeah. I think when the word design comes up, people think of more often than not, they think of something that is representing something visually Here we're talking about designing for belonging. We're not talking visual design. We're talking organizational design and infrastructure, so to speak, design for coworkers and teams. What's the difference there? Why does that look different? What kind of infrastructures are we talking about here when we say design for belonging? Absolutely. So and another word we might throw in there to those that you were talking about there is experience design. So we're not talking about the kind of classical sense. It's not interior design. It's not logo design. It's not website design, although those are all fine things to design, not knocking them. But we are talking about experience design. And that's looking at those moments for belonging are a first step. You want to see where the group or you as an individual are feeling belonging and where you're not and how that's impacting you and your ways of working. So seeing those moments is a way to then say, okay, which is a moment that we want to redesign, that we want to look more closely at the experience? Let's say it's about onboarding. Let's say it's about that kind of joining a group or a company. And when we notice that that onboarding for some people feels like a moment of belonging and for some people it doesn't, that's what might cause us to want to work on it. Then when we're looking at that concrete moment, we can open up our toolkit and think about how do we shape that? And that's where we go beyond websites and interior design and really think about 
role or ritual. We can think about different kinds of storytelling or communications. We can even think about things like food or clothing related to events that we might host that help people to participate, contribute, and know that they belong. Well, before we dig into the toolkit a bit, you mentioned onboarding. It is similar to another word that you use in the book, which is the opposite of belonging, which is othering. Can you explain what that means? Yes. Othering, the opposite of belonging, the way one might notice that is being made to feel like you don't belong, that you're being stereotyped. It might be that you're being projected upon. It might be that you're being made to feel that you shouldn't be part or that some part of you, some part of your multiple identities, we all have multiple identities, some part of your identity isn't actually welcome and that you're not being encouraged to show up. Extreme versions of othering take us all the way to things like systemic racism, discrimination, extreme things, right? You can imagine even recent shootings that we've, mass shootings in the American context. That's an extreme version of othering when someone is going all the way to committing a hate crime. So that's very extreme. There are much more subtle versions of being made to feel like you're not really supposed to be here. That's othering. The work that I'm trying to do is say that if as designers, and so many of us, even if designer is not our title, we are designers because we're creating context for people to come together. We want to be able to think more intentionally about how people are allowed to feel, encouraged to feel, made to feel that they belong, and paying attention to contexts where we don't think that that's really happening. One of the things I love to do is just people have people do an emotional journey map and chart for themselves the highs and lows in their workplace of when do they really feel like they belong and when do they not. That is a way to create some really interesting data around places that you might want to attend to or redesign. Obviously, tech tools have played into belonging, whether it's intentional or not, over the course of the past Two to three years now since we've been going through the pandemic, how does that play a part in terms of designing for belonging? Well, I like to think of tech tools as exactly that, tools, right? So in some way, we can hope that they are a little bit neutral and we can shape them. Of course, there are biases that get built into the way they've been created and they have kind of default settings, So here we are, we're on Zoom. So we're face-to-face. We're not thinking about the rest of our room, the rest of what's happening in our house. But interestingly, in the pandemic, since people have been in their homes, there actually is this interesting opportunity to design for how can you bring more of yourself to the screen and not just go with the kind of the default of technology, which is flat. So we could invite each other to go take a little scavenger hunt in our house and bring an artifact to show here on screen about a time or place where we felt belonging. We're not going to do that right now, but that's a great activity to do in a group that's in Zoom. So that's a way that we can tune technology with the intentionality of design to ensure that we're actually bringing and creating opportunities for people to show up as more than just their flat screen version, for instance. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The thing is, is we're kind of going into that. There's a lot of phrases, the great resignation, the great this and that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, I think what it is, is we've just as a mass scale level, all started to question everything. So why not lean into that, right? Absolutely. So it's a great moment. I've actually turned out to be really excited that this is when my book on design for belonging came out. I've heard the great resignation also referred to as the great reflection. And reflection is a very important part of design. It's that taking a pause to understand, how am I feeling right now? How is my coworker feeling right now? How do we feel about the amount of time that we're spending on Zoom or on email or in text? Are all those platforms helping us to live fuller lives? Or when are they getting to the tipping point where they're not supportive of who we are or the relationships that we want to be in? These are really profound questions to ask. And they're ultimately design questions to ask because then we can dig in and say, Okay, these are the tech tools we're going to use, but how are we intersecting them with thinking about time and schedule? Maybe what we want to do is have some time when we're online together, but we're not actually in a meeting where we're just online and we're chit-chatting or we're just online and we're doing our own work and we're trying to kind of simulate being together and co-working. And also that probably if we're all working from at home and we're using Zoom, probably we don't want to sit here for eight hours. You know, you saw early in the pandemic, lots of folks getting into really big trouble with their bodies and their relationships because they were just trying to show up on Zoom like they had showed up in the office. And it's a reminder of design that we actually have to intentionally situate how we're using time as well as how we're using technology tools as well as how we're getting to show up with our body, right? Our body is the ultimate user of the designs around us. And we want to be able to pay attention to that. So that paying attention is a foundational act of design. While we're at it and asking these questions of ourselves and reassessing things and then digging into the design toolbox, What do those tools look like? What are the design tools that are applied here to belonging? Like, how do you apply design thinking to a problem or to the goal of finding a solution to increase belonging? So the framework that I offer is that we feel, see, and shape for belonging. 
So the feeling piece is understanding for ourselves as individuals, for others in our team, when and where are we feeling belonging? When we notice a place where belonging is low, that might be a moment to take up. That's the seeing. And we want to describe what kind of a moment is it? Was that an onboarding moment? Was it a sharing of feedback moment? Was it a code switching moment? Was it a scent moment? What kind of a moment was it? And then we take that moment and we say, okay, how can we redesign that? And there we want to think broadly about the tools of design. We don't want to be limited to just a particular technology. We don't want, it's not just about sending an email to tell people that they belong. We might want to say, how can we create this space so that the space is filled with stories, visual stories of our clients and our teammates so that we really understand in a felt way the wide range of people that show up and do this work together. That would be using the tool of storytelling and communication in conjunction with the tool of space to make a space feel like it's really cueing you that you belong to. I know that you've done some examples in schools, you know, for teachers, for students. What are some of the ways that you've applied designing for belonging, especially in a place that really like if there's ever a place that you need to feel like you belong as you're growing up and you're learning and everything's scary, not that that it's not scary for adults, but (laughs) you just feel like you need to belong in order to actually achieve what is being given to you and given to you to learn. What are those examples? Like what, how does that apply? How do you apply design for belonging to these examples in a school? In a school, yeah. And and to your point, it's critical. There's a fair amount of research that belonging is fundamental to being able to see yourself as a learner. And seeing yourself as a learner is fundamental to being able to actually learn. So it's really important. I've done a bunch of work with school principals. And so I'll tell a story of a school principal. He was an assistant principal at the time. And he went to a new school. This was in Colorado. He went to a new school and it was maybe summer. They were getting ready for the year. And he said to the principal, you know, so what kind of assemblies will we have here at this school? And the principal says, oh, no, no, not assemblies. We don't do assemblies. We can't do assemblies. They always go off the rails. And the assistant principal is like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. You can't do this kind of traditional thing. That's, that's fine. But he dug a little deeper to kind of understand that what were the behavioral issues that would happen And recognize that so many of them were coming because the students themselves weren't in relationship with each other. So he thought about taking up a practice. He called it crew, which is small groups of students coming together regularly across the year and being supported by teachers. And he wanted to try that, not in assembly with everybody, but could he think about for six to 10 weeks If they did these small group meetings where students had opportunities to get to know each other, to play games together, to tell stories about their families together, to share photographs, etc. Not academic work, but relational work. If they did that, would they be in a place to then down the road potentially have a larger group experience? And so that's that version part, I think, of the work of belonging in, in schools and all environments is actually remembering that belonging is a feeling 
And you get there by being in relationship with each other. And that means getting to know each other. That might mean solving problems together, which could take a form of puzzles. Um, he ultimately was able to do an assembly after they had these many weeks of small groups where the small groups came together in a large assembly to actually solve the collective puzzle. So they had a reason to come together, but they had the relationships to rely on that let them show up, be themselves and dig into the work that was presented to them. So I think that's what it looks like in schools is yeah. right. Like digging into relationships and then remembering that you can redesign to meet students, to meet educators too, exactly where they are. You mentioned relationships. And I think that as we're talking about this topic, there are people who will say, why do we need to do this in my workplace? What do you say to them? And hint, I'm talking, you know, I mentioned the word relationships. <laughs> So I think that the best of ourselves comes from being fully human and we're social creatures. So we need relationships, whether we identify as introvert or extrovert, whether we identify with as having like wanting to have a lot of friends or a few close relationships, our humanity comes forward, not just in work, but in the playfulness of relationships. So they're fundamental. So obviously... In the workplace, and again, we talked about schools too, but in the workplace and productivity-wise, teammates or leaders may receive this book or start to go through the book and wonder how they can, if, if they don't think that the organization they're in has necessarily the capacity yet, but could eventually get there, air quotes, you know, and get it also, air quotes, in other words, how do you inch into starting to enact some of the designing for belonging in a workplace that doesn't have it yet, but some of the people inside it see the need for it? How do they communicate that? Yeah. How do they spread it? How do you start the ball rolling slowly without freaking everyone out? Absolutely. And I'm a I'm a huge fan of that. Actually, I'm not a fan of the and hear my air quotes, the rollout and <laughs> air quotes of big new plans or new programs of how we're going to relate to each other. No, that's not the way relationships happen, in fact. And I also think from a design perspective, this book is an effort to help demystify how to get started. So I'm a believer in small, scrappy experiments. That's why I want you to think about concretely about a moment where you or your teammate do or don't feel they belong. Pick one of those moments where it feels a little itchy, uncomfortable, and say, what's one thing we could try? We noticed this particular moment, so we're nice and small, and then we're going to try one thing. So that might be, let's try something at our next meeting that's a little bit different, that's a little bit relational. Can we try, I mentioned it a couple of times in the book, the check-in question as just a way to say, hey, at the beginning of this meeting, we're going to dedicate five to 10 minutes, depending on the, you know, the scale of how many people there are to ask a question. And we're going to ask you know, a question every time we have this meeting so that we can just get to know some different things about each other. My friend, Jill Violet from Playworks is the person that introduced me really to the check-in question. And she loves to ask, you know, what was your first concert? You're not going to ask that question every week, but you're going to ask it once. And then maybe you're going to make a playlist so that everybody has like the playlist of everybody's first concert and you have this kind of touch point. So there are lots of ways to start really small 
Or maybe you're just back to the the storytelling in your environment. Maybe you just put up a few pictures of your clients or customers or the folks that you work with and tell a little bit of their story and let that motivate you in the next session that you're doing where you're trying to design a new product or service, for instance. So starting small is actually key to doing culture change work. And ultimately, design for belonging is culture change work because you're trying to create more opportunities for more folks to belong more of the time. And you're wanting to then see what that gives you. This is an emergent process, as I believe all design should be, where you're looking to see, gosh, I tried this checking question and that felt weird. Okay, I'm going to back away from that. And the next meeting instead, I'm bringing snacks. And maybe I'll get people talking about, you know, what was the favorite snack that they had after school when their grandma visited? Whatever you can tell, you know, people can tell their own versions of a story. But those subtle things, small things, give you data for what's working and what's not. And you can notice, did that meeting feel better? Did it feel like people showed up a little bit more as their whole selves? That's great. And if it was the opposite, you know, you made sure that it was safe to fail. So you're like, okay, that didn't work. Next week, I'm going to try this. So I think as individuals or get a co-conspirator, you don't, it doesn't have to be top down. It can start bottom up. If you are a leader and you're wanting to try some new things, you can also invite others into that work with you. Just try small things to humanize the workplace. My thought was, and I know your approach is way better, so trust me. My thought was, (laughs) we're talking about answering all these questions or bringing up the questions and looking at how we've done things up till this point in a a critical way, not in a, a negative critical way, but in a constructive critical way. We're asking the questions, is this allowing for belonging or is this designed for belonging? Yeah. Or is the thing that we're always used to doing, is it unintentionally, or even intentionally, by accident, maybe, othering? I think that those are great questions, and I think those are great questions to have a thought process and a dialogue around in a group. But again, I think going too far down just that process starts to smack of what you said earlier of a rollout that can be very informative, that can be very investigative, and, and you can come up with some great data and some great you know experiences to help build new things. But your approach of trying things in a subtle way that aren't hitting you on the head with a hammer, but instead inviting you in to be long, <laughs> it makes more Absolutely. sense that way, right? Yeah, yeah. A couple of things that makes me think about, I mean, one is just that I love to name a kind of a season. I love to play with time. Right. I feel like that's one of the places we get stuck. And in some ways, the pandemic has maybe helped us play with time in some different ways because it also made us just like lose track of time. (laughs) But I love to think about a season of prototyping. And that could be a day, a week, five weeks where you're just like, hey, we're going to try new things at meetings over these five weeks. And I don't think that sounds like a rollout to me. That just sounds like, hey, we're giving some a frame. And we're going to see what emerges. Who shows up to do some experiments in these two days, five weeks, whatever the time frame is? And how did they feel? And do we want more of that? Because the other thing, when you're mapping kind of your belonging and noticing times where you're not feeling belonging, you may also be noticing some times where you are feel belonging. And the thing to do is actually do more of those things. 
to figure out how the great job that you do in the onboarding moment, that kind of invitation and entering moments, that you're doing a great job there, but things fall off that people don't know how to make a contribution once they're a part of the team or the organization. But somebody may have done a map and showed that their high point was a moment where they felt like they did really contribute. And so can you lean into that and see how you can shine a light on that and share that? You know, this is a podcast about productivity. I think Bright Spots Looking is a really positive productivity kind of move that you're actually looking around for things that are working and you're looking to then see what's happening there, not so that you can replicate it. I'm also opposed to replication. Not so that you can replicate it, but so that you can try it in some different contexts and see if it also works there. I'm a fan of noticing in order to see what things you can support to keep moving in that positive direction. Yeah, that's almost a a version of the catch them when they're doing something right and then reward, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's a great way to approach it, actually. They say this in the strength finders. You don't focus on your weaknesses. You figure out what the strengths are and then lean in on those instead of fixing the weaknesses. Because by leaning in on the strengths, those weaknesses kind of get covered over anyways or covered over by somebody else who's also leaning in Uh on their strengths. So as a team, you're all leaning in on strengths and all the weaknesses kind of just dissolve into the background. Yeah. That's particularly important when you're trying and maybe you're like trying with some intention now to build more diverse teams, right? The strengths approach, the asset-based approach is really powerful and I think critical. It gives back to that what you're doing when you're designing for belonging is helping people to show up as their whole selves so that they can contribute fully and strengths are the way to lead there. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. How do you think that, you know, in the current climate, this book coming out right now, entering into the macro dialogue, what are your thoughts on that? I'm excited. I think for me, it's intersecting both a kind of certainly in workplaces, a greater focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then also this question of, If we're not all coming back to work in offices the way we once did, how do we intentionally design for when and where we do show up in person, when and where we show up in different technologies, et cetera? So the confluence of both of those things is intense and it's also powerful and it really speaks to belonging. The reason I wanted to help the word belonging, and I'm not obviously not the only person who thinks about belonging, which is why I have the host heroes in the book. Shout out to all the host heroes and others that are working on belonging. But I wanted to help put belonging kind of on the map and in the conversation in this moment, because I think it is the feeling that we need to be going for when we're working on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And also when we're thinking about when and where we show up to work together, if we're in a reimagining of what how the workplace works. Belonging is the powerful lens, I think, to bring to it. Colloquially, we call it a sense of belonging. It's one of our human senses to understand when and where we're able to show up as our whole selves. So it's really important at this time. So I'm excited it came out now and it just wants to be, I think, part of this conversation and forward-looking work around our organizations and how we build better cultures. 
I'm also thinking in terms of, you know, quick wins for somebody who maybe they are just one person. Maybe they aren't the person that leads the meeting. So they don't have like the intro question responsibility. They could suggest it. That's definitely a possibility. But I'm thinking in terms of the air quotes average coworker. No one's average. But anyways, uh, the everyday, the everyday. Let's put it that way. That their approach would be as they look around, what are the systems that are in place? What are the intentional as well as unintentional rituals that are in our organization. What do our spaces look like? What are our different roles look like? Because again, we can't force this topic slash approach on any or everyone, but somebody feels a sense of responsibility and a, and a higher sense of awareness towards these issues. And they want to include more people. They want to have a greater sense of belonging, not just for themselves, but their coworkers. I, I'm curious, are there other small little ways that can be like a rock thrown into the pond and create ripples? Yes, absolutely. So I think what you mentioned there, a lot of what I call the levers of design, so space and rule and ritual. And you could actually think of those as grand tools that you have to have kind of leadership in order to move them, like the building of a building or, you know, funding a new role within the company or a company-wide ritual. Those could be big but those are actually also tools that you can use as individuals. If you're not the person that's going to throw the big event, how about taking a walk with a coworker you haven't talked to in a while or somebody that's new or somebody that's different than you across any number of identity markers? The simple walking meeting is a powerful, it's cheap, it's easy, you're breathing fresh air, it's good for your body. The walking meeting is just something intentionally doing it so that you are building belonging either with somebody that you don't know or is new to the organization is a very powerful starting point, I'd say. Similarly, what space, you don't control the whole space, but what can you do with your individual workspace or your digital workspace that starts to show who you are in a new way. Take the risk and show another part of your identity and see. And you can do that as a conscious experiment. If I show up in my, you know, gear that represents some aspect of my identity, did that generate questions and conversation that felt good and intriguing to me? Or did it make me feel really awkward and like I, I wasn't as welcome as I thought I was? That's really important data. And hopefully that's a safe enough experiment to do that you're going to learn something really interesting. And then the other thing is, is I think don't underestimate the power that you have just by making those small ripples that reaching out to somebody, to that changing your space to making a braver comment in a conversation that is inclusive of somebody that you think is not being included. Those small acts do create ripples. And then, of course, you could get your whole team to read the book. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. You may be aware of it, but I'm trying to think of what is the cognitive bias where, for example, if you if you suddenly buy a certain car, then you see that car everywhere. Oh, I'm, yeah. forget, I'm blanking on what it is. I know yeah. what it is, but, and somebody, somebody's listening in and they're saying it right now out loud. Right. Yes. So like it's a kind of perception yeah. bias, but yes. I'm not, yes. Uh, so yeah. thank you for that. But I think, again, I hope 
that this conversation just did that to somebody that as they're going about their day and as they're interacting at home and at work, that they are starting to see spaces that allow and encourage belonging as well as unfortunately they will see othering and they'll be able to identify it. They'll be like, Oh, I, I see it. I see it. There's that car. There's that car, you know, in other words. Yes. And by doing that, they'll be able to see some of those instances where Maybe you don't jump in and do something immediate, but you start to ponder what's a small step that I can do in this regard. If you have a vision for something big, you can back it off. If you're like, oh, if only we could do a three-day offsite where we talked about this, da-da-da-da-da. Like, okay, maybe just talk about it in your next meeting or in your next one-on-one with your leader. You can always, I think, make a big vision for change into something small and scrappy that you can try right away. And then you get some feedback and that feedback then motivates you. So it becomes a virtuous cycle in a way. Mm -hmm. Starting that momentum cycle, kicking it off. Absolutely. And not in a rollout, but in a kind of a groundswell kind of a thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to me, that's my version of productivity is starting things and seeing where they go and then following them. Yeah. Because again, sometimes you can decide to go one route. Like, again, you can build a campaign around this, but if you've not really done the groundwork and the homework and the investigation and the real life relationship conversations, you're going to miss the point and it's going to come out corporate versus human centered. Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. Well, you mentioned earlier, everybody should just go get the book. And I'm going to echo that right now. Obviously, it's available and it's great for teams It's and it's great for individuals as well. And I think it really will spark greater awareness. And again, thank you to the listener who's saying it right now, what that thing is where they see the car over and over again. But it's going to cause that, <laughs> I think. I know it does for me. I know personally for me, it does that. So I hope it does that for others. A version of that is priming too, mm, right? Yes. So I'm hoping this this is priming so that you can see it and then you can see it and shape it, feel it, see it and shape it. So in that light, where is the best place for somebody if they want to dig deeper than we did in this conversation, because the book goes so much further than this and so much deeper than this, where can people go to find out more about the book as well as maybe get a sample or jump in and just purchase it? Yes. So I have a website designforbelonging.com. The book's available on all the platforms and your local bookstore can get it for you in two days. So you can get it there. And there are a bunch of materials at designforbelonging.com. And then, of course, more broadly, information about all the D-School books is on the D-School website, which is just dschool.stanford.edu. Perfect. I will include all of those links in the show notes for this episode. Susie, it's been awesome talking with you. I can't wait to talk to more D-School people. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Susie Wise. And I hope that this is something that's opening your eyes to the role that belonging plays in not just productivity, but in constructive output, in interaction between team members, between the tools we use, the way we communicate, the way we bring ourselves to our work and to our lives even. 
And I hope that you've begun to think a little bit differently or start to inch towards that awareness, that greater awareness. Like I said in the conversation, you can go grab all the show notes for this over at beyondthetodolist.com. You'll find the link to find out more about the book, dive in, grab it, get snippets, and so on, or connect with Susie. And I hope that you do that. I hope that you take the time to do that, to connect a little bit more on a deeper level here with what we're talking about in this conversation. It can make a really big difference. Even small incremental changes make a lot of difference to people. All that said, I would love it for you to do me the favor, if you found this podcast beneficial, to share it with somebody else you know needs to hear it. Take a moment, click that share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this, or again, over on the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it with somebody that you know needs to hear it. Again, thank you so much for sharing this episode. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next episode.